Hello, my friends. Welcome. This is the Joe Martino Show. My name is Joe, and today we are going to talk about violence through words, violence through action, violence through ideology, violence in a way that we typically don't think about violence. We're going to talk about maybe, possibly, getting back to great conversation. Let's kick it off. This is the Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello. Welcome. Uh, No episode last week. I had one almost done. I thought I was going to be able to finish it. Where I was at, I was not with my normal uh, audio setup, and so I didn't do it, didn't get it up. I debated putting up like a, hey, there will be no episode this week, but I kind of figured, you know what, my listeners are smart, they know that if there's no episode there, there's no episode there, and so we went on with the day. Uh, a couple housekeeping items, starting next week, maybe with this week's episode, I'm not quite sure what the post-production effort required will be and time frames for me will be I do, I do my podcast all of my like podcasts my YouTube channel uh, even writing articles for my website which I've not been doing is all kind of done in bonus time which I don't really have right now uh, I'm 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 just I just said to a friend I said I hate it when you know it's oh I'm so busy I'm so busy in fact I have a podcast episode coming up stop wearing you're busy uh, but right now, man, I am just not keeping up. And so, uh, that is what it is. And I'm, I'm taking steps to fix it, to correct it, to, to be on the right path. But right now in my bonus time is when these things happen. And so uh, I'm not sure when this will, will happen, but a friend of mine, uh, created some intro outro music. And I feel like, uh, we're going to just give it to you, the people to decide Tell me which one you like. You can email me. You can Twitter me. You can you can Facebook me. However you reach out to me, feel free to do so and let me know, do you like the new music or the old music? I'll probably run the new music for two or three weeks. And during that time, we'll let voting go and we will close voting. And uh, why don't we do this? Everybody who votes uh, will get their name put into a... Uh, hat, so to speak, and we will randomly, at our sole discretion, pick one person to give them a $25 gift card to a coffee shop of their, well, we'll just, we'll pick the coffee shop, so unless you're like, you know, far flung, and I don't know coffee shops where you're at, uh, so we would need your name, and then to win, you'd need to give us your address, your, your email address at least, um, so that we could get you the cheddar. Do they still say that? Probably not. That was part of a bad movie in the 90s, I'm guessing. All right, there's so much I want to talk about. There's so many things I kind of want to get back into discussing with you. Uh, One of the things, I I listen to podcasts occasionally, and recently one of the podcasts that I listened to put up a thing, uh, or put up a post, put up a thing, put up a post about how it's good to be blank, and then fill in the blank with your name. It's good to be Joe. Like, it's good to be Joe Martino. It's good to be whoever you are. 
And so I thought, you know what? That's a good post. I should do that. I should talk to my listeners about that. So we're going to at some point. And it's not original with me in that there are people, and I usually find that this is people who don't create. There are people like, well, you can't talk about that because you heard it somewhere else. Only people who don't create think that. Because all creators know that you, it's what other people are creating that inspires you, it moves you. And then on top of that, there's these other things that are just constantly banging inside your head from ear to ear, top to bottom, that need to get out. Certainly those are there too. But the idea that, well, I heard it somewhere else, so I can't talk about here, that's, that's not something that I subscribe to. So we're going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about today, though, is a book that I'm reading, and I'm not going to mention it. It's a book that is anti-cancel culture. It's a book that is written... Uh, from a libertarian point of view, um, it is a book that would upset all of my conservative friends, uh, and it would upset all of my liberal friends, and I am afraid that if I said the book title, we would end up missing the point of what I want to talk about today. I'm almost done with the book. I personally think that the book is worth every dollar that you would pay for it just for the conclusion. Uh, he does what's called an interlude on forgiveness. I, I think that is something we need to talk about. I was just talking to someone recently about how we need to talk about how we forgive people, both on a like daily life level. So the people in your life that are running in your life regularly, we need to talk about how what does it mean to forgive them. We also need to talk about what does it mean to forgive like stars, like people who have done things that we think are wrong. Because right now, I mean, the culture that we're living in, if you messed up when you were 16, you can never have a job where the public deems it's their right to be able to scour your past, ever. And what's interesting about that is we currently have a president that was convicted of plagiarism. There's a whole plagiarism scandal. When I was in high school, my U.S. history professor or teacher said that Joe Biden will never be able to run for office, for presidential office, because of this plagiarism. And I'm not saying whether, I actually, I think he should have been able to run this past election, regardless of the plagiarism back, and I don't remember the year now, but it was a long time ago. But we have an inconsistent application of forgiveness, because integrity does matter. And plagiarists, typically, they're demonstrating that they don't have plagiarism. And in academia, where... Like when I did my doctoral work, you couldn't you you couldn't use the same material in two papers because that was self plagiarism. That's funny to me. I actually I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you're a teacher that listens, please know that I love teachers. I love administrators. I love education. I love learning. But there's really only two institutions that take themselves more seriously. Maybe three. Maybe the medical profession. But schools, education systems, and churches take themselves way more seriously than they should. And it's it's becoming a problem. That'd be a fun episode too. What I want to talk about today is one line from this book. And I'm listening to it on Audible. I was driving when I heard this line, so I wasn't able to bookmark it. But essentially what the author said was, if we take away deep listening and deep conversation, if we take away the aim of deeply hearing those people we disagree with. The only thing we are left with is violence. And, and essentially his whole book talks about how often the oppressed becomes the oppressor. I, I say this to people all the time. If you don't deal with your stuff, if you don't deal with your trauma, if you don't deal with your hurt, 
A, you'll bleed on people who never hurt you. You're right, right? If you don't deal with your own cuts, you'll bleed on people that never cut you. But B, you'll often become the very thing that you're railing against. You will often become the very person that oppressed you. And I see this a lot in my peer group from where I grew up. I grew up in a hyper, hyper conservative environment. That is what it is. I'm not judging those people. Uh, Hopefully they're not judging me by saying that. Some of them probably are. I'm I'm not there anymore. I'm I'm still certainly right of center, but I'm not there anymore. But I grew up in a very... um, a very extreme culture. Uh, in fact, when I was, I want to say 12, I, I might have been younger. I went to a camp in Tennessee. I I believe it was called Bill Rice Ranch. And swim time was for the boys was like one to three, and for the girls was three to five. And there was these giant, almost like prison-like cement walls around the pool because you couldn't mix bathe with members of the opposite sex. Mixed bath is their phrase, not mine. Because you're not taking a bath. I, I mean, I said that even then. I remember going home talking to my mom. I'm like, I don't understand this mixed bathing thing. Like, nobody's taking a bath. We're swimming. We're having fun. Right? And, and so there's that culture. And, and I know a lot of people that grew up with that. The culture that I went to in college uh, is, is very conservative. My undergraduate college was very conservative. And a lot of people that I went to school with became dissatisfied, disaffected, with that culture. They became unsettled with with the results of the life that they were living through that uh, th- through that lens. And, and and they they have moved. And it was not just a conservative ideology of lifestyle. It was a conservative ideology of everything. So politics, it was all there. And, and what I've observed is a lot of those people that I have grown up with, They've switched sides, but they're every bit as angry as the people that they're reacting to, right? So they're not conservative anymore. They're liberal, and now they're fighting the liberal fight where, you know, their parents and them maybe up through their teen and early 20s, 20 years, they were fighting the conservative fight. They haven't actually changed tactics. They've just changed teams. They haven't changed rhetoric. They've just changed teams. And so, like, I'll just throw one out here for you. Now, I don't know this person for certain that that what their culture was growing up, but one of the things, a friend of mine put up a post the other day on Facebook, and, and I reference Facebook a lot. I like Facebook because it reveals what's going on in a person's heart a little bit more than in-person does, because in-person people tend to shut things down because they don't, they don't know how that's going to go. You know, at the comfort of your home with your keyboard in front of you, you can be a keyboard warrior. So a friend of mine puts up a post, and I don't even remember the gist of the post. I just remember the first comment was, I'm not here to argue, but. In other words, I want to tell you what I'm thinking, and you're not allowed to respond. And if you do respond, I'm not going to engage you. That's myopic. It's bullying. And it's, it's intellectual masturbation. It just is. I'm so smart. I'm so... Whatever the verb there is, woke, conservative, liberal, I don't care. My opinion is so great that you're not allowed to disagree with it or argue with me over it. And if you do, I won't engage you because you're beneath me, peon. Now, if I said that to that person, that's what you're saying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And you see this 
all over social media. Unfortunately, you even see it in real life. I want to be able to say whatever I want to say. I, I, I want to be able to express what I'm feeling, what I'm saying, and you're not allowed to engage me. And the problem with that is in psychology, there is a, a school of thought called transactional analysis that essentially says there are four basic human responses when a person feels stuck. Do nothing, overcompliance or overadaptation, aggravation, and then violence or incapacitation. And often when I'm teaching this to my clients, I'll be like, look, violence here isn't actually violence like throwing fists. It can be, but it's just trying to move the other person off the board. It's just trying to take them off of the playing field. It's just trying to make it so they can no longer engage the topic that whatever it is that we're, we're discussing. You're shutting down conversation. That's the violence that we're discussing here. And yet, and yet, as our society progresses into this rhetoric of either you agree with me or you eat babies in the morning for breakfast, how dare you question what I said? How dare you question what I think? How dare we move towards an attempt at gracious understanding? When we take away all those options, the only thing left is violence. And so we rage because we have made rage and anger the language of our nation, complaining the language of our nation. I was talking to a guy just recently who was talking about how he works at a factory. He fills, uh, if you eat condiments, he's probably filled it for you at somewhere along the line, anywhere in the Great Lakes region. Regions, region, Great Lakes region. And he's like, one of the things he doesn't understand about his fellow workers is they'll get a bonus and they'll still complain, and they'll get this, and they'll still complain. He said, but it's because they don't feel like they're in control of the rest of their lives, I think. I said, that, that certainly could be. I said, the other thing I think is we've made complaining and violence and anger our, our, our three national virtues and actions. If we are to have better discussions, we have to stop looking at violence as a viable solution. We have to stop looking at everybody who disagrees with us as though they're monsters. And it doesn't matter. Like, my conservative friends make arguments against my liberal friends that in the la under the last administration, my liberal friends made against my conservative friends. And both sides just dismiss it. Or even better, they come back with, well, wait, you did this for four years. You did this for eight years. Well, we, like, look, do you really want a society that is tit for tat? Do you really want a society where anytime we disagree with you, we're not going to do on anything? You either 100% agree with us or we're not going to do any business with you. Is that really the society that we want? Oh, this state made a law that we don't like, so let's just pull all the businesses out of it. Do you really want corporations getting involved in politics through guerrilla warfare? And that's what it is. From, from companies trying to influence legal, certified elections to people saying, well, I'm not here to argue, but... Uh, I, I remember a, a girl that I went to grad school with. She went on this long diatribe one time about something when she got done. She's like, and I don't want to discuss it. Salah, which means peace. Oh, well, because you added the word Salah at the end, that means that you're willing to engage in discussion. That somehow makes your guerrilla warfare less uh, offensive, more palatable. 
Well, Joe, wait a second. You just said we need to have gracious understandings of people. I agree. We do. And, and at the same time, we have to be able to call actions out. I think that's one of the problems. One of the most common conversations I have with couples is, well, let's just pick on dads. Dad's doing something that mom doesn't think he should do. They've agreed he shouldn't do it. So mom's like, hey, I thought we agreed you weren't going to do that. Well, that makes me feel like a terrible dad. No, it doesn't make you feel anything, dude. It should make you feel happy that you and your wife made an agreement and she followed up her end of it. Well, you can't make me feel bad. That's wrong. I agree I can't make you feel bad. I can be mean. I shouldn't be. That's wrong. But I can't make you feel anything unless you give me permission and the power. Part of the issue here is we live in a society where you have to agree with me 100% Or I can just eviscerate you. If you don't agree with me, I can go get, and as long as I have the majority, I win. That's bullying. Like in a society obsessed with bullying, it blows my mind how we can bully people because we don't agree with 10% of what they have to say. Oh, don't go eat at that restaurant. They threw a a party for uh, Obama. Yeah, but I like their food. Do you want your money going to Obama? Yeah, but I like their food. Well, I can't believe you'd do that. You must just not care if fill in terrible thing. Oh, you can't go to that restaurant because, you know, they supported Trump. Yeah, but I I like their food. Is breakfast food worth all the people he's murdering? And, And it gives you this false sense of moral superiority. In reality, you're everything you're railing against. I knew a kid that was abused. Uh, physically, emotionally, verbally, um... All, well, I didn't know him as a kid. I knew him as an adult. But all of it. He was abused all, all across the board. The only thing that didn't happen to him was sexual abuse. And he came to see me because he had hit him one day. He said, I'm my dad who did all these things to me. I'm literally reliving what my dad did. I'm just doing it differently. And it's the same as my friends from college and high school. They're doing the same thing they're reacting to. They're just doing it differently. And might I suggest to you that for a society that that seems to just hang its hat on the idea that it is morally superior to all the generations that have come before it, we are every bit the bullies that we're railing against. Our society is every bit the racist that we are railing against. Our society is every bit the sexist that we are railing against because we've shut down conversation and when you shut down conversation, you cannot have accountability. It doesn't work. It's impossible. And relationships are how we grow. They are the things that push us forward. They are the things that create the accountability. We have, we have idolized anxiety and fear and anger and we have said, Uh, Well, I'm anxious, so you don't know. Or I'm fill in the blank, so you don't know. I just want what's best for the kids. Oh, well, because I disagree with you, I don't. That's one of my favorite discussions. And I've danced around this a little bit in the past. Somebody wrote in about their friend. I don't remember her name or the friend's name. But somebody wrote in and was like, hey, my friend is continually putting this stuff up on Facebook, and then she quits Facebook, and then she comes back, and then she quits, and then she comes back, and then she quits. Right? And and that that is another form of of control. We are trying to control our world rather than saying, hey, you know what? You have some level of freedom. And here's the thing that's going to get me in trouble, but I'm just to the point where I I don't know what else to do. It's because we've actually given up, we've given up some standard objective order of truth. So one of the things that I believe is you're entitled to do anything you want until it reaches somebody else's nose. 
Literally, you can do anything you want. You can say anything you want. You can believe anything you want. So if you want to stand in the middle of your living room and you're the only one home and yell, fire, 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 there's a fire, you can. As long as nobody hears you. But if you go to a movie theater and do it, you're now putting other people's life in danger. So you're out. And we've literally made words, well, that puts my life in danger. No, probably not. Probably not. And so you have to learn, because once words put me in danger, if somebody expresses an opinion that I disagree with and then I feel unsafe, well, then I can either shut them down. I can go to violence and incapacitation. I can shut them down, move them off the board, take them away, and it doesn't matter. If you're someone who is applauding the redaction of articles, the, the books getting pulled and being like, nope, you're not allowed to publish this book here. This book can't be sold here. Help me understand something. When in the history of the world has the people who have suppressed the books been the good guys? Serious question. Serious question. I, was, I had a fun conversation with a friend of mine who is black. He does not prefer African-Americans. So I will not say it. So please don't send me those emails. And he said, you know, he said, when I walk into a, a, a bookstore, I'm saddened when I see black authors segregated out from all the other authors. This is what he said to me. I'm quoting him. This flies in the face of what Martin Luther King, I think he actually calls him Dr. King. This flies in the face of what Dr. King was after. Now, I'm not black. I, I can't speak to what it's like to live in America as a black man. I can't. He can. But because he's conservative, you know what people say to him? You're not really black. Literally, white people who say that to him. That's violence and incapacitation. That's shutting down the conversation. We have this false belief that in order for somebody to be able to speak to a principle of something, they have to experience it. And I see this all the time in therapy. I hear people be like, well, I don't know if you should do addictions therapy because you've never been an addict. Well, okay, let me throw this idea out to you. Sometimes the worst therapists are the ones that used to be addicts because they take the lens of their story, their experience, and they superimpose it on everyone else in the story. They superimpose their story on their client's story. Instead of actually operating out of the client's story, they operate out of their own story and superimpose it on the client's story. And so there's like this whole running around like, well, you know, people can just talk to me because I went through this experience or that experience. And okay, maybe that's helpful, but probably not. And the distinction will be, did you heal from it? Did you grow from it? We're so hell-bent on being victims, on, on, on wearing our wounds as badges of honor. And I get it. We're, we're overreacting to, in the past, wounds were, were shameful. And so now we're overreacting. But we've got to find that middle ground. And the middle ground is we should never shame someone for having wounds. We should never shame someone for having troubles, calamities. And for a while, we kind of did this let's be entertained thing by it, right? Like, like Biggest Loser. Oh, let's go laugh at all the fat people. Hoarders. I don't know how many seasons Hoarders ran. Oh, my God, look at that house. Oh, that's awful. And, and now we've kind of moved to, like, our, our wounds, our, our calamities... Our troubles are, are like these badges of honor. They're trophies that we trot out in front of people. And if they disagree with us, we get to club them. And here's the problem. Not every victim is a hero because they've been victimized. 
Some people, way more people than we'd ever want to be willing to admit, are victims because they were engaged in bad behavior. They were doing bad things. We have to admit that. We have to embrace that. We have to find the balance between shame the victims or, 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 or make wounds shameful and wear them as a badge of honor to wounds happen, we heal from them, and we should leverage it to help our fellow humans be better humans. We should leverage it to become better people, to help other people become better people so that we can move through life and we can make humankind better. And there, this, this idea that the only thing we can do is shout each other down has to go away. We should make it our goal for, to have a very rare exception of here's, here's my thoughts and you're not allowed to engage me. That should be a very rare occurrence. That should be our goal, that that's a very, very rare occurrence. Hey, here's my thoughts. What do you think? And maybe what we should do is stop having those types of conversations where we're not face-to-face. Very few people can have discussions where they're not face-to-face. And it goes, okay. And I know, I imagine somebody out there saying, yeah, but Joe, face-to-face doesn't seem to go that well either. That's probably true, but is that true because we've stopped doing it? In other words, would it get better if we started to do it more and we actually created some level of accountability in how we're going to talk to each other? We created some level of accountability in how we're going to engage in each other's ideas, that we're not allowed to call names, that we're not allowed to attack the person, that we're not allowed to just keep coming back to the same argument on repeat. What if we actually said, let's have some rules for rhetoric? Let's have some rules for discussion. What if, what if we all made an agreement just to ourselves that when I disagree with someone, I'm going to try to see their actions in the best possible light. I'm going to try to see their behaviors in the best possible light. What if we started there? In other words, hey, you know what? I can disagree with you. I, I just went, I just hung out with somebody off and on for a week. And prob- probably one of my closer friends on, on this thing we call planet Earth. We don't agree on everything. There are things we just flat out disagree on, and it's okay. There are people that I disagree with on a lot of things that I still consider friends, and I think they consider me friends. And it's not because I'm all that smart or they're all that smart. Well, actually, some of my friends are pretty smart, but I'm not. It's not that we're this you know, exception intellectually. We just realize that it's okay to disagree on certain things and to have discussions about it. And sometimes my mind gets changed. I used to think that the Washington Redskins having to change their name from Redskins to something else was stupid. And then a friend of mine said, you do realize that that was kind of like the N-word for Indians, right? Native Americans, original people. No, I didn't know that. I went and looked up the entomology of the word, and sure enough, that's what it was. I think I said that word, right? Entomology. Changed my mind because we had a respectful conversation. We had respectful dialogue. So wherever you're at this week, go engage people in respectful dialogue. Go engage people in respective disagreement. Disagree. You don't have to change your mind just because somebody else does. But don't define your entire relationship on a 20% disagreement. Heck, I would argue don't, disagree, don't, don't define your relationship 
on almost any ideological disagreement. There are people whose character I'm not interested in being friends with. But there are people who have great character who ideologically I disagree with, and I'm friends with them. And I'm happy to be their friend. Wherever you're at this week, go have conversations. Take violence off the board. Don't don't run to violence. Oh, I don't like them, so block. Oh, I don't like what they're saying, so you're out of my life. I'm never talking to you again because you don't support Trump enough. I'm never talking to you enough ever again because you don't support Biden enough. Holy cow, you're literally defining your friend circle based on people you're never going to meet and who I'm willing to bet if you did meet in real life, you wouldn't like. Beyond being intellectual masturbation, that is rectal cranium inversion disorder. You need to get your cranium out of your rectal cavity. You do. And then you can move forward and have a happy life. Somebody's going to email me about that. All right, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.